I'm Orlando Jones, and I just want you to know that the Moana Nui podcast will be starting soon. Stay tuned, yo. I'm Veronica Taylor, and for myself and Ash Ketchum, I just want to say, Moana Nui, I choose you! Aloha mai kako, everyone. Welcome to the Moana Nui podcast. Uh, we are so excited to be launching our celebration of Asian Pacific American, Asian American Pacific Islander and Native Hawaiian Month in the month of May. Uh, mahalo for joining us um, tonight. My name is Moana McAdams. I am the host and founder of the Moana Nui podcast. I'm also the um, children's, uh, children's book author for The Adventures of Nakoa and Nohea, and obviously an advocate for our wonderful um, Indigenous, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, and communities of color. Welcome, and I'm so excited to have all of you join us tonight. Um, I'm really excited to have my partner in crime, my sis Dana, back with me here on the show. Um, it has been a while for us, a little bit of a bumpy ride here at the start of yeah. 2023, but we're really excited to have her back with us this month. So I will let her um, introduce herself and send it right over. All right. Aloha, everyone. I am Dana, the other half of the Moana Nui podcast. I am a event planner, uh, content creator, and um, line producer for uh, another show, The Bop with Karen Ashley, the Yellow Power Ranger, and I'm a photographer and voice actor. Uh, so we're so excited to kick this month off with uh, these panels to recognize ANHPI Heritage Month this month. So of course, I'm going to hand it over to the ying to my yang, the Renaissance woman of our time. I'm going to give it over to the lovely, the beautiful Moana. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. So tonight's topic is um, priced out of paradise, how Native Hawaiians are forced off of their homeland. And I really wanted to have this conversation because um, a lot of what Hollywood and mainstream media puts out um, is the beautiful side of Hawaii. And it is mm. a paradise, right? Like it is a wonderful place to live. Um, but there are a lot of aspects about our homeland that um, they don't talk about. Um, and mm. so that is the reason that I wanted to raise this particular topic, um, especially like, you know, we, we love to enjoy these wonderful IPs. Like for me, obviously, my name is Moana, so I'm going to be a huge fan of Disney's Moana film. But there are critics out there who talk about, you know, like how it just further... Um, perpetuates the colonizer mentality and only mm. talks about like the beauty of the islands um but like what about the actual lives of the pacific islanders and the local communities right because it's not just native hawaiians it's not just pacific islanders hawaii is a melting pot of cultures um and there are a lot of unique challenges that our communities face um it's not all bad it's not all good but we're really trying to find balance um, and one of the things I wanted to do with this particular episode is have some conversations with some folks who have connections to Hawaii, 
um, from different perspectives and different lenses. And so I'm really excited to have our three panelists with us tonight um, because they come at this topic from um, very different perspectives. And I really, uh, you know, just want to hear, um, you know, what they have to say about this, learn about their experiences, and most importantly, share it with all of you so that you can better understand um, kind of the, the context of Hawaii um, and the ongoing issues that our communities face. So before we get started, I will um, you know, introduce you all to them, uh, tell you a little bit about themselves, and then we'll jump into our panel. So our first uh, guest is Kavika Hoke. Uh, he has been working in the film industry and in Hawaii and in Los Angeles for eight years. Uh, he has spent six years working with Disney Parks Entertainment He's worked on Paradise City, One Million Dollar, The Deadly Yoga Retreat, Aloha with Love, um, to name a few. Uh, he is now um, leading Manavakal Productions and has um, been uh, has has moved back home to Hawaii um, to create to create opportunities for Hawaii talent and filmmakers um, to create authentic stories about Hawaiians that live in the islands. Um, and his production, which I'm really excited, um, newest production is called Moku Moku. It is a Native Hawaiian comedy series um, that will be coming um, to us very, very soon. Um, maybe you were lucky and you got to check out the pilot episode, but all I can say is rodeo prostitute. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I, <laughs> another thing I want to say about um, Manavaka Productions is that, you know, Kavika really wants to transform the way that Hollywood does business with Hawaii um, and to be a beacon for diversity and business ethics in the entertainment world and provide sustainable jobs um, that lift new careers, foster local seasoned professionals, and most importantly, um, bring value and benefit back to the Hawaii community. So with that said, let's bring Kavika up to the front. Aloha, Kavika. Aloha. Aloha. How's it, everyone? <laughs> I cannot wait for this series. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Mahalo for joining us. Uh, good, good kind of laughs. All right. <laughs> Our second guest is um, Kelly Makura. Kelly is a native Hawaiian Okinawan from Hawaii. Uh, she is an artist, grief, art, and social justice facilitator. And she discovered art as a need to find healing. I'm sorry. During times of great loss, uh, her abstract art style is expressive. Um, similar to the passionate express expressions, sharing and talking story with loved ones. Um, she finds art to be the perfect medium to explore and process emotions around grief. Um, and she facilitates rituals that are deeply connected to her art practice um, and have become a bigger part of who she is. Kelly has earned a master's degree in education, leadership, and policy with a concentration in teaching adult leaders and social justice pedagogy. She also hosts uh, workshops to facilitate a better understanding of the systems of oppression and to examine and implement action steps to dismantle racism internally and throughout the communities that we live in. Her passion for doing this work is driven by her professional research and personal lived experiences as a Native Hawaiian woman living far from her homeland. And so um, Kelly now lives in Oregon but she's also a mama to three keiki and a corgi mutt um, and is a wife to her high school sweetheart who she lives with in Oregon. So welcome, Kelly, to the show. Aloha. Aloha, Aloha Kelly. 
Welcome. Mahalo for joining us. Excited to have you on. Thank you. Alrighty. And our last but not least panelist, Brad Starks is a fashion, lifestyle, and beauty photographer, a TV film producer, a videographer, and a freelance creative consultant who works for various private editorial and advertising clients. Uh, he creates still images, video, and film content, and social media management. He is currently based there on the island of Maui. Uh, very good friends with Kavika. He travels frequently for clients in New York, LA, Chicago, um, Europe, and Japan. Some of his fashion clients have included Nicole Miller, Emmanuel Ungaro, and Oscar De La Renta. He's also worked for advertising clients like RJ Reynolds, Tobacco, Mercedes-Benz, Spiegel and Belova watches. His um, advertising work has been published in Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Harper Bazaar, and Marie Claire. Um, having added TV and film to his skill set, Brad has also worked on several projects with major studios and agencies worked worldwide. Um, his growing list of partnerships includes Netflix. Finding Ohana is one of um, the IPs that he has worked on. He's also worked for B&G Goods, um, Profile Television LLC, Benjay Studios International, Anthropology, Over the Edge Productions, A&E Networks, Hurley and Hana Productions. Now, guys, that's 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 a whole lot of resume. So um, <laughs> I'm really excited to um, have Brad with us. Um, he's known for an extraordinary, diverse and imaginative work. And in the last two years, he's also acted as a creative director for some of the largest brands in the United States and in Europe. Um, Brad brings his unique talent and down-to-earth attitude to all his projects, in addition to his commercial, editorial, and advertising work. So I'm excited to have him on. We're going to give him a second because I think he um, had to step away. But <laughs> there he is. <laughs> oh, that's, that's right. He, he likes to do that. So let's welcome Brad on. <laughs> I should have oh. known that. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna make like this little like you know exciting in, uh, entrance, but how I you doing? Your intro, sorry. Uh, <laughs> welcome, Brad. It's so good. To have you. <laughs> oh man, I just, I, I'm really excited because you know, just reading all of you all's bios and introductions, I'm like, wow, what, what a diverse group we have here. Um, and so, you know, before we get, you know, jump started deep, deeper into the questions, um, let's go around and give everybody introduction. Can you tell our guests, like, what is your Pico? What is your connective tissue to Hawaii? Where's your family from? Where you in high school? You know, all the local kind questions. Um, so we'll go ahead and start with Kelly. Yes. Um, <laughs> I uh, born and raised on the island of Oahu. Um, I lived there for most of my life, and then I had the really lucky chance to live on the big island for several years, and that's where I met my husband. We both went to Honoka'a High School, <laughs> so yeah, Honoka'a grad, um, and then we both went to the University of Hawaii Manoa, and uh, yes, yes, go both. <laughs> and uh, yeah, all my family's still there grandma, aunties, uncles, sister, cousins, sisters, cousins. Um, my mom had recently moved up here. Uh, she's a few minutes away, which has been such a lovely gift. But for the most part, a lot of my family still still on Oahu. 
Awesome. Oahu representation. Yeah. Okay, let's go to Kavika. How's it, everyone? Um, well, my uh, my grandparents are from Maui. Uh, my grandfather was raised uh, Makwa and Haleakala. My grandmother's from the Pili. Um, they moved away from Maui when uh, they were teenagers and joined the military. I was a byproduct of that being born and raised uh, in Oceanside, California, just outside of Camp Pendleton uh, Marine Corps Base. And um, my family is, is split in half, you know, half on the continent, half throughout the islands, predominantly uh, Maui and Oahu with a few on Big Island. And um, I, I was lucky enough to spend most of my life growing up in, in, a, in a unit of Polynesians and Native Americans and African Americans throughout my youth, um, where we got to protect and procure our culture because we, we were segregated from the rest of society. So my grandparents used that as an avenue to help start the Huyo Hawaii of San Diego. And that's a lot of what maintained my, my culture and my roots was having a halal that moved with us as, as we moved throughout our lives uh, serving the country. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to be here today. I love that. And I can't wait to talk, you know, a little bit more also about like how the the communities of Hawaii like kind of connect on the continent too. So, uh, Brad. Hey, how's it everybody? My name is Brad Starks. Um, I am friends and work regularly with uh, Kavika on uh, Mokumoku Show, which you mentioned. Um, my parents are from a place called Rockford, Illinois, which is like the second largest city in Illinois. Um, Early on, uh, when I was a kid, I got interested in photography and um, wanted to see if I could do something different from my dad. Not that what my dad did was was not great. My father used to play for the New York Jets, and it was always thought that I would also, you know, follow in his footsteps. But, you know, early on, I kind of figured out, you know, that, uh, you know, constantly ramming your head at full speed into guys larger than you was probably not going to be a great idea. But, uh, uh, but I, I got interested really early uh, in the arts and especially photography and fashion photography. And my father was very, very, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, supportive of that. So I uh, ended up going downtown for photography, uh, worked with, uh, was lucky enough to work with like some of the greatest photographers there um built up a portfolio for myself started to work for all of the leading agencies there and one of the probably after i was in it for like about four or five years a couple of the more successful models that i was shooting for were coming back from europe and they were like hey this is the card that i got from my agent in paris this is the card i got from my agent in italy they told me to tell you if you want to come out here and shoot some of their models they'll put you up in a place they'll pay you for it they'll circulate your portfolio so after about a year i was just like yeah let me try that so went there to live there for like three months and i ended up there for about three and a half years so after that i moved to uh new york um established myself uh, created sort of like a network still kept all the um contacts that i had in europe and brought those with me and once the recession hit um, in New York, gosh, I was probably there for about almost like 30 years. Once the recession hit there, I was just like, God, there's got to be something, 
it's got to be another place to go. And I ended up luckily out here. And um, one of the people that I met who's just become, excuse me, just a really great influence and another partner in crime is Kavika. So uh, two two bald headed guys in, in Maui can go quite far. So <laughs> we've got a lot of uh, interesting surprises and we've got a really great history that's uh, that, that's kickstarted here. So I like him. We're really excited to be here. Yeah, that that's amazing. Like you've had such a an, an interesting career. You've worked with so many different brands, and um, you know, ended up um, having Hawaii become your home now. How long have you been in the islands? And um, like, what what do you think makes Hawaii special for you? Gosh, um, it'll be eleven years for me the end of next month, and uh, during sort of like our first upcoming like season of shooting uh moku moku so that's going to be exciting and um seminal for me um what makes hawaii special what makes hawaii special um outside of like you say um obviously the nature and and the connection sort of like with nature of what you get to see every day is incredible but what really makes any place special really is the people you know it's the yeah. people um I've been so fortunate to have learned what Ohana actually means and to be steeped in this culture is life-changing. And I've personally witnessed people from the mainland who have come here who have never experienced sort of like the nature and the vibe that we get off uh, uh, when we, when we work together as a crew and, they leave forever changed. So um, that's one of the most, I think, important things about living here and experiencing that here. Wonderful. Um, so Kelly, what what are your thoughts about that? Like for you, um, you know, you grew up in Hawaii. What? But you now live in Oregon. So um, how long how long have you been living away? How did your family end up on the continent? Yes. Yeah, so um, I thought about this the other day. I am very sad to say it's been 20 years since I've moved off the islands. And that's, that's long. <laughs> Two decades to be away from home. And, you know, everything Brad just shared about why being in Hawaii is so beautiful. That's a big part of what I miss. I miss the community. I miss the people. I miss the culture. I miss the food. Oh my God, I miss the food. And, you know, it, when we go back home to visit, you know, we're not there as tourists. We're there coming home and the kids love it. You know, I have a nine-year-old, a 13-year-old uh, and a 16-year-old. And even though they've lived on you know the continent for most of their lives they go home and they go and they get to be around family get to, to see the cousins i have 27 cousins so you can imagine like all their offspring so my kids have tons of cousins and and they're like why are we not living close to family and i'm like oh my god it's a long story it's it's hard it, it's hard to to be away from home for so long and yeah it's it's been a while <laughs> Yeah. What are um like what are some of the difficulties that like, you know, um was was it difficulties of living in Hawaii that led you away or was it more like of a natural transition with career and things like that? Yeah, so honestly, it was more of a like looking into the future. It was like, mm -hmm. okay, I I had good internships. I was in, at UH Manoa 
I had great internships. I had a good part-time job, but I was looking around at the cost of living was increasing. I was looking at the kind of pay that I was getting. And I was, I just kind of felt like I saw the writing on the wall. Like it was going to be really difficult for me to have a family um, and to be able to survive outside of my own parents' home. You know, the, the hope was that I might have my own house one day and that I'd have a great neighborhood that my kids can grow up in. And um, that was feeling more bleak than I had hoped, which is why, like, I think it was three days after graduation, I got an airplane and I was in California. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I didn't miss a beat. Um, but I have found, because the other thing I was seeing too is that they would pay a lot of people who would come from the continent to work in Hawaii and they would pay them more than they would pay locals. And that was very apparent. And I thought, okay, if there's any chance that I can make it in Hawaii with a good salary, maybe I got to move away and kind of increase my value that way. Um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely um, observed and experienced a lot of the same things um, with a longer look to the future. And I'm glad you brought up um, how you know they hire people from outside of Hawaii and end up paying them more. So we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit later too. Um, but one of the threads I kind of want to stick with is the the Ohana concept, right? And how you know it is your 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 relatives, but then also like you know especially Native Hawaiians have that concept of Hanai and you know the broader extended family who are not your blood relatives but it's like the people that you know you vibe with your community so um, I wanted to go to Kavika um, I know in, when we've talked before you know you talked about how like oh you know you remember your cousins and like you know kind of growing up in Hawaii like what 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 was that like for you to um you know, one, not start your life in Hawaii, but then how did like you kind of survive on the continent? Like, how did you keep in touch with your cousins? How does that look? Well, you know, I owe a lot of it to my grandparents, you know, um, when they had to make the tough decision of moving away, it wasn't just them. It was a lot of their generation, you know, much of what, what they, you know, our, our college youth and middle-aged uh, Kanaka are going through right now is the same thing that happened in the late fifties and early sixties with our tutu and our kapuna, you know? Um, and so, you know, I was lucky in that sense that we were a, a much more tightly bonded culture back then. You know, uh, they were they were just into statehood. So they knew their identity as Hawaiians. So they were able to take that with them as they moved abroad. Um, most of their opportunity came from joining the military. And with that came the equity of having, you know, a higher ranking position. Um, <clears throat> by the time that I was born, my grandfather was a master sergeant and retiring. So he had uh, he had enough to take care of even his grand grandkids that had to move into his house at that point in time. And but even then, at that point, the 80s were still a trying economy for most of us. So um, lucky for us, uh, you know, all, all of the the colored regiments and, and, you know, platoons and units, they all got put together, you know, so it, it really kept us intact as a people, because we were able to, if we did have to move, we moved as a unit, you know? Uh, luckily we didn't have to move that often. Um, really my, my grandparents stayed locked in, in Oceanside uh, for the majority of their lives. Uh, they contemplated moving back many times, but it was always wrought with, well, how, how do we help take care of 
my tutus land in the Pili and, and pay all those back taxes, you know, because she lost most of her, her family's land to just being able to afford to pay for groceries. And then whereas my grandfather's side of the family, most of it was just taxed out until the house was, uh, you know, had a lien put on it. And I, I spent most of my life whenever I did visit uh, Maui, uh, you know, whenever we went up country, the only thing I ever knew about my grandfather's childhood home was through a chain link fence that said A and B on it, you know. So um, <clears throat> there was there was a lot of effort put into bringing us back once my grandparents could afford it, even though we never moved back. Um, a lot of long summers, even some some extended times in the year when they felt it was better to just keep me here than, than send me back to the continent. Um, but growing up on, on the mainland, you know, it's it had its moments, um, but it definitely wasn't all that it was cracked up to be. You know, I mean, the, the great part of having our hui. Uh, keeping us intact as Hawaiians was one thing, but also constantly facing the the gentrification wave. I mean, even for a place as progressive as California, it was a land of of blue laws, you know, all the way up from the the 70s through even the early 2000s. I mean, it was <laughs> it was still illegal to have curly hair in the workplace for a person of color. I mean, I grew up watching my mother flat iron her hair every morning pouring argan oil on it to keep it fresh, but then having to flat iron it just to get that promotion. And then every day waking up at 4 a.m. to do it just to be taken seriously, you know, which it just, it boggled my mind. It, it made it made a lot of hard points in, in growing up, you know, beside her because she, she had a cultural identity shift in herself to be able to adapt. And at the same time, I was living in the freedom of trying to embrace my culture that my grandparents had afforded me. So it was, it was very, it was confusing at many points. There's a lot of my life where I look back now as an adult, having understood it, why she had to do what she had to do, um, you know, but through all of it, we managed to maintain our, our family. Uh, you know, most of us stayed in the San Diego area. Some of us moved off to Washington, Oregon, uh, you know, East Coast. Uh, a lot of my family went into the service. So lots of Navy and military guys that ended up, you know, working Washington, D.C. eventually. But, uh, you know, if there's anything that I appreciate the most about growing up on the continent in that time was that we, we at least all had each other and there, there was a great effort made to keep us intact as a people. And some days uh, as I've returned, you know, and noticing the, the great decline of Kanaka who can afford to stay in our homeland that, you know, it, part of that is what really keeps us alive. You know, it's, it's a very night and day, you know, it's, it's almost like I lived in a time capsule for you know most of my life that we were we were protecting a culture that was nearly extinct at the time and now that i return back to maui as a formed adult and i see things and i know things that some people just turn to me oh how do you know that bro and i'm just like well don't, doesn't everybody know you know and then it's just like wow you know it even happened here too and so you know to some degree i i am I'm lucky and I am, am proud of what my grandparents established in me and in my cousins to make sure that we could stay, you know, true to our people. Um, but now as as someone who's who's moved to Maui and made it a full time, you know, effort to bring and repatriate more Kanaka back home, I, I noticed there's there's still so much to do. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely, for sure. Um, I like that you brought up the time capsule kind of thing because <laughs> I think it's like one of those unique things that I you know anyone who's 
spent some time away from home and come back. You know, there's some things that are still the same in a good way and some things that are still the same in a not so good way. <laughs> so yeah, that's one of the unique challenges, I think. Um, but I also liked how you talked about um, like the cultural identity challenges and, you know, like how to navigate um, and adapt between the two different places. Kelly, did you find that to be a challenge for you too? And how do you... Um, like, how do you help your your family, especially your kids, right, who are not, you know, amongst their family and, and amongst the Hawaiian community um, a lot? Um, how do you um, kind of keep that strong for them? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I want to mention a uh, experience I had when I first moved to California. I remember sitting in the middle of a meeting and looking around and realizing I was the only person of color in that room. And I was getting, having a firsthand experience of like, oh, I'm very different. And I, I didn't realize that growing up, right? Like growing up in Hawaii, every there's so much diversity. It, it, you didn't even have to think about it. It just is like, it's the way of living. And to then move away and to be treated differently because I look differently was that was a big um, eye opener for me. And, and now that my kids are older and they have interactions with their peers, it's fascinating to learn that some of those interactions still happen today. So even though we do live in a really diverse community, some people have <laughs> just not enough knowledge, or sometimes I like to say the audacity to say some things to my kids. Um, without even thinking about that being harmful or hurtful in, in any ways. And so um, being able, I have many conversations with them about how to navigate that and um, reminding them of where they come from and why it's important to, to keep that so close to your heart and to honor that identity because it feels so, so you, so them, so unique um, because being away from home, you feel that pressure to assimilate. You feel that pressure to uh, look like everybody else and so that you can also succeed in the ways they do. And then in that journey of trying to do that, you lose parts of yourself and it's devastating. It's really devastating. So it's a balance. <laughs> it really is to be far away um, and to do both. Um, but I'm doing my best. I mean, the, the best thing I can do is to continue to have conversations with my kids and um, helping them navigate it in the ways that they can best honor themselves and their culture and their, their heritage, where they come from and their ancestors. That's beautiful. I um, totally appreciate that. <laughs> found myself, I still find myself, right? Like just like you living away for like 20 years, man, it's sometimes it's weird. Like, I don't know if you, if, you know, for, for those who have, you know, obviously gone away and then come back, like, it almost feels like your perspective, people look at you like an alien, you know, like, <laughs> I'm like oh, do you guys not see this? Like I, I find, sometimes find myself like, oh, I don't quite fit in with everybody who's still here, but I definitely don't fit in like, you know, where I am now. And it's just such a unique um, position to be in. And sometimes I don't know if I'm gaslighting myself, but I just. <laughs> <Be on that. laughs> 
it's just it's kind of crazy but then you know like i talk story with people like you guys like no i i feel like that too and i'm like okay yes yes you're not alone (laughs) right on so brad like i know you know you're obviously you're not native hawaiian at least to my knowledge so correct me if i'm wrong (laughs) but i know that you are a wonderful ally and advocate for our community you know now living on maui and working with wonderful you know um community leaders like kavika um you know, how, how is that for you? Because I know as an African-American man, you are no stranger to cultural identity and the struggles of what that is. So how is that like for you in Hawaii? Do you find it easier to, um, you know, just kind of like maintain your existence, be your, be Brad, be your person. Like, you know, how does, how is the Hawaii community special to you in that way? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, um, being African-American and um, traveling, you know, to Europe as I have, I mean, number one, I've always been made aware of how the outside world would characterize me. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, my, my parents, um, you know, made a point of making sure that my sister and I understood that at a very young age. And Kelly, I'll, I'll tell you, definitely have that strong communication with your kids and half of that whole battle not only is to be able to play past it the expectation of who they think you are and um unfortunately a lot of western mainlanders only know about people of color what they see on tv and i grew Mm -hmm. up in the 70s where i mean Kavika will tell you, I mean, there's a well-meaning friend of ours who wrote this script and he needed someone to play sort of like the black character in it. And I had to say the phrase jive turkey like four times. And I was like, seriously? And, you know, it's my, uh, 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 I'll tell you something. One of the things that I realized about how lucky I was to grow up within the family Uh, that I was in, my full name is Bradley Marshall Starks. My older sister's name is Dana Elizabeth Starks. Now, I didn't think anything of that until I started to go out in the work market. And, you know, as a photographer, you go around with your portfolio and you send the portfolio ahead of being asked in the room and then getting an actual interview. So you make that phone call and Kavika, uh, listening to you sort of talk about your mom straightening her hair, I'm sure your mother had like that white lady voice. My parents exactly were exactly the same. You know, we were not allowed to talk like our cousins, you know, who talked the street, you know, we can, we, we can all do that. And that kind of thing, you know, that's sort of part of part of our, our culture, But one of the responsibilities, Kelly, as a parent, is to teach your children what the world is like. And, I mean, Kavika and I can go off on like a tangent here politically about, you know, how there are certain states in the mainland that do not want to teach real history because my my child's feelings will get hurt. Well, if we're all dark enough to be hung by the Klan, guess what? Your kids are should have it together enough. You should make them morally strong enough to learn the truth of what happened to people like us. But I digress. But um, I'll make that phone call as Brad starts on the phone and I sound a certain way. And then when I step in the room, they'll be like, oh, you're Brad. You know, they expect the preppy sort of white guy to walk in with an IZOD shirt and all this kind of stuff. But then 
you know, if you don't let that affect you and you just go in and you just be yourself. And like you say, you just be Brad. Um, people are just like, gosh, you know what? You know, I was wrong about that. And, you know, being able to be lucky enough to travel to Europe and to meet other people and just to let them encounter how together you are and what your understanding is of systemic racism. And I'm not saying that everybody understands that. I mean, one of the things I think that people of color and families of color have in common is that we will sit down to dinner and we will talk about how we need to deal with our white brothers and sisters. It doesn't go the other way. They're not thinking about you. And I think all of us are probably at an age where we've had like that one white friend where we've had to say, hey, hey, Mike, come here. Come here. I got to talk to you. You know what you said about so-and-so? You know what that made me feel like? And then they're like, oh, no, no, no. But, you know, it's up to us to sort of shepherd would-be allies on what their shortcomings are and understanding of our culture. And one of the things I really loved about my discovery of living here in Hawaii is that I've always tried to live with aloha, but I've just never understood it the way I understand it now. And I think a lot of kids, uh, Kelly, yourself, you're out there in the mainland, you have a lot to, to share with, with people in the mainland about what your culture is about and really helping people see the best in themselves. So I would just say that. That is absolutely wonderful because I think that is something that is super important um, for you know those who have moved to the continent. It's like you, it's a huge responsibility too, because like, you know, to your point, like people only know what they've seen on TV, right? Like, and so that's why I feel like, you know, like it's, it's wonderful to have properties, um, you know, that talk about our communities and show our communities. But then it's also a huge kuleana um, because, you know, you are essentially framing for people like what Hawaii is like, what Native people are like, what local communities are like. Um, and so, like, nobody expects you to be perfect. But, like, you do have, a, a you know, if you take it the right position, like... It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity for you to share because nobody knows that like, you could tell them like any kind of story, right? Like you could be like Portuguese, whatever you like, tell whatever kind of story you like, you can make up stuff. Right. But like you have a platform. Um, and I think especially now with technology and social media, like that's a wonderful opportunity. It's also a responsibility though. Right. Like, because what message you're putting out there is that people are taking that as like, quote unquote like the bible like like this person from hawaii this is what they told me right like so you know like i'm gonna believe that because that's what i know right um so i think that's that you know that's a wonderful point that you brought out there so i kind of want to um go switch a little bit um we'll talk about uh what has already been brought up a little bit the land loss um thing and over tourism and the high cost of living. And I want, Brad, I'm going to go back to you because I know we talked a little bit, um, you know, in a separate conversation about some of your previous work that you've done with HGTV, House Hunters TV show, right? Like, and they love to feature Hawaii. Um, and so I kind of wanted to get your perspective on like, 
what it's like working, you know, with those companies and like, at least for me, you know, like as a native Hawaiian to me, like those shows is beautiful, but they're not selling to locals. Right. So like, how is, how is that like working in that particular space? And um, I would love to hear like, you know, what you were saying, like, do they care about like the locals and what's going on? Or do they just care about like, I want my prime spot on the beach? You know, (laughs) what is that like? Well, I mean, like any uh, network that that creates a show uh, like House Hunters is they're basically trying to come up with a template of a product that if they go to San Diego, if they go to Illinois, if they go to Spain or they go to any other place, they need to have a setup way in which they show and tell a story that works anywhere they go. So no, they're, they're not, um, the, the, the first season that I worked on, they're not, uh, interested in sort of delving into what the culture is like, what your next door neighbors are going to be like. They're basically just taking, um, uh, Westerners, uh, mainlanders, um, who have money, who are looking to get a second home or looking to just start over again. I want to live next to the beach. Hey, let's move to Hawaii. And the way that they would put the home and the things together were, it really looked like you were walking into say like someone's living room at at Portland. But once you stepped outside, Oh, I'm in Hawaii. So, you know, it was interesting to sort of watch that. Um, And I worked on the show, maybe like, three or four times, like the first season I was involved, and this was maybe like seven or eight years ago. Um, I got asked back uh, two years later because I was working on a bunch of other things. And then um, it was the show got handed over to a different um, production company. And what they decided to do was they decided to, as well as sort of show the homes that were going to be available to mainlanders that were going to move there, they also decided to infuse um the culture of 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 what you would benefit from moving there and it was it was a really great approach and i and and they were they were canadians (laughs) believe it or not uh you know who are a little bit more sort of like they have a lot more you know um empathy I've, i've found a lot of producers that way and um the the inside of the homes in incorporated indigenous artists that were here they made a point of like on the lifestyle day when the couples are sort of like thinking over their choices they actually paired them with um like a local uh um a chef or like a small place that's like right down the road and you know you got to see the the faces of the people that they were going you know whose whose community they were going to become part of and um it reminded me a lot of like, I was lucky enough to work on a job as a creative director for a makeup company and we were selling the brand and we were going to market it in Japan. So I got to go there three or four years at like at a time. And one of the things I noticed in Japan was a lot of like the young kids that were qualified, who were very skilled, were leaving Japan because there was, it was just too expensive for them to start a life here. So they were forced to leave very much what's happening kind of like here. So, you know, it's a, um, it's, it seems to be kind of a, um, uh, a universal challenge, not only here in Hawaii, but worldwide. Um, 
it's really expensive to live here. And I think um, the community and Maui County as a whole, I, I think they're beginning to try to do some things. Kavika and I have got an associate or a friend who um, is in the business of tiny homes. And that's something that, you know, is a possible start to the answer of a bigger problem. Gotcha. Thank you. Um, so Kelly, I know with your family, you know, you talked a little bit about the cost of living. Um, have you seen like, whether it's your, your family specifically or other, you know, families that you knew, um, you know, any experiences of where people lost their land, like, um, especially like, you know, Kanakas who are, you know, losing their ancestral lands. Has that been um, something that you've experienced in your view? Oh, definitely. And um, it's devastating, you know, especially as our kupuna are in that transition in that phase of them becoming our ancestors and they leave land to family members. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, and they leave it to multiple family members. It's not just one. So everybody's splitting it. It is easier for folks to say, let's just sell it. Let's just get rid of it because we're going to get a high, high, high price. Um, and we'll be able to divide that easily so that we can afford to live um, versus like, how can we hang on to, you know, grandma's land? How do we hang on to grandpa's land? How do we, how do we still provide an, a way and opportunity for family who had to move back to, the, you know, had to move to the continent to come back and visit and say, have some place to stay instead of having to stay at a hotel, which is also expensive. So we've seen a lot of that in the last, two decades and it's it's heartbreaking and then even as a kanaka um my own family you know we've lost land in kau because of taxes we've lost land in waimea valley because of taxes and you know we've lost ancestral lands that was given to our families because they didn't know what taxes were they didn't know they, they didn't know how to make money like it's it's heartbreaking. And I hear, you know, my sister was talking about the other day, she had heard more and more families are moving off the islands and moving to the continent because they can't afford land. And I'm like, I, it's at what point can some rich person come in and make a difference and stop that from happening so that Kanaka can stay back, you know, on the island? Like, there's going to be a point we already have such a small percentage of native Hawaiians. I mean, it's gonna to continue to get smaller and smaller uh, throughout Hawaii. And it's it's heartbreaking because so much of our connection is to the land, is to the aina, is to our ancestors that are buried there. Like, yeah, it's hard, it's heartbreaking. It, I, I don't know any native Hawaiian that isn't dealing with this right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a very, very touchy subject. And so, um, at least for me, um, you know, cause people are like, Oh, why did you leave? You know, I'm like, well, how long you got? <laughs> like, do you want to know like the surface answer, which is like the cost of living is expensive or do you want to go back into like my family's history? And like the more I, you know, research about my family and like, you know, recently discovering that like my family was a Lee. So like, getting even more upset because like do you even know that like 
this whole town, like, you know, my, on, on the island of Kauai, you know, my auntie was telling us, oh, yeah, the whole town of Kapa'a and, you know, up here, up in the homesteads, and, you know, that was all our family's land, you know, like, and it's, it's just huh, such a, such a t- touchy topic. And I, I don't want to take the time from you guys. So to go off on my own tirade, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really, um, really complex topic. Um, and for those who, you know, don't understand this, like, okay, why is the taxes going up? Well, let me explicitly say, because people coming, rich people coming, buying up our land, um, you know, you have, it could be like huge parcels, like Zuckerberg on Kauai. Um, it could be the whole damn island, like Ellison on the Nai, uh, you know, and um, what's even like adding insult to injury is that not only are they buying the land, but they don't even freaking live there. You know what I mean? So like they're causing these long-term impacts to people who actually live there while they like snowbird or, you know, do whatever. Uh, they come for wherever there's a vacation home a couple of weeks and they go off to wherever the heck else they got, you know? Um, and so, you know, if you come to Hawaii and, you know, one, you're a part of that. And two, like you come in ignorant and you don't understand those issues that's why you might get some heat from us, like, especially if you're ignorant, because like, come on now, we have social media and please do your research um, or listen to shows like us so we can kind of teach you. <laughs> but this is not like, you know, we're it's 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 all about education. Right. And helping people to understand. Now, after we tell you and you still do the same thing, then we're really going to have a problem with you. Right. Like that's that's when it becomes a little bit more um violent i guess i would say you know <laughs> not that we're gonna be violent to you but like it's like you're a, a, a choice of ignorance now right like um so i think that's you know a very important thing to kind of foot down now kavika i know your family um dealt with um you know the land taxes too what was that like for you guys um you know on your island in in i think you said napili right in your grandma's house yeah uh, well, you know, uh, a lot of that conversation was was in California for me as a kid. You know, mm-hmm. we we didn't know for the longest time as an entire Ohana on both sides on what was required to to even make the process back on it, because some of it just like it, it was just. It, it, it was still ours, but then it was just covered in taxes. If you want to develop this, you want to parcel this, you want to do anything with this in the modern American way, you got to pay all these things. Until then, you can stay on your little two rocks, but you want to move over to rock number three, yeah, it's going to cost you. you know. So my grandfather, because he recognized that there was really, there was no way of getting both families' lands back. And so he put a lot of effort, You know, he used his hazard pay from going to Vietnam and Korea, and he put it into to his, uh, his mother-in-law's hands. And, you know, he, you know, that was a big, big alliance in our, between our two families was recognizing, like, we have a fight to save one of ours, you know? And so he made it a point, even though he never wanted to get into the decision-making process, he found that he was blessed to be a master sergeant with good pay. And that meant that he could provide extra money to the family's cause. So his patronage to my grandmother's family really was key, you know, in my youth. <clears throat> I recognized of how much he, he, you know, he'd done for that. Then, you know, fall later into the years where he's out of the picture, my grandmother's retired and then, you know, her, her health, you know, and, and how she has to rely on the rest of what my grandfather gave her. And still we're, we're fighting to, 
to 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 pay and maintain that land even just to you know have a chance at, at just walking on it um it's it's really given a lot of perspective on what everybody else has to go through you know i i've got a cousin that I was I was blessed to meet through the Hui's uh, uh, as a teenager, and then again as an adult. And then I found out recently he he moved to Haiku because he was able to prove his Kuleana lineage to the land in Haiku. And um, it's tough watching him sometimes. I'm very proud of him, and I know he's he's very proud to be there. Um, but the efforts you have to go to to get back what was yours is just unbelievable. I mean, he he lives in the last parcel that they could give him back because all of the other houses surround, you know, his, the, his family's territory. And so he lives in a little gulch in between. He has to go down through this little cut that he made. He had to post a sign. And then even, even after he moved in, the immediate response was, call the cops. We got one homeless guy in our gulch. And then the cops come out and he's got, I got these papers, I got these things, you know, here's, here's, you know, the elite contract, here's all this, you know, and then they're like, oh, well, you got to post a sign now and then you got to tell all your neighbors and then the neighbors start calling code enforcement and then the neighbors start finding ways of weird complaint and all they get, and he's just a young kid with a collar patch and, and, you know, trying to learn, you know, where, where his place is in the universe. But then we're, we're now, we're now surrounded by a bunch of NIMBYs, you know, the, the classic, not in my backyard. And it's like, bro, it wasn't even your backyard. So what you getting on about, you know? And so that, that can be very disheartening too, you know, because there's, there's a lot of people that think they're afforded ownership of this land. You know, the, the term Kama Aina has blurred over the past century, you know, to, to befit the, the colonizer more than it befits the people of this land, you know? And so that's, <clears throat> that's been a really hard thing too. You know, I, the first time I came back, I, and I, I was just hanging out with some localized transplants, uh, best term I can come up <laughs> with. And, and, and that's, it, it also harkens back to my time capsule thing is that, you know, they start giving me this whole, oh, you don't even speak right pigeon. I'm like, bruh, I speak 1985 the kind, okay? You don't even know, bruh. I speak the pigeon before it was the pigeon. So you don't talk like that. You don't, mm, no, no, bruh. You know? <laughs> so it, it's just, it's, I mean, between between the appropriation of our land, the homogenization of our culture, the, even that now that there's, there's, there's a new level of like, there's allies, but then there's people that you recognize that look like allies, but are really just appropriators. And then it becomes, oh, bless you, little savage for trying here. Let me teach you how to speak the pigeon and spread your aloha. You know, so it's, <laughs> you know, it, I, I'm surrounded by caricatures. And that's like half of what's inspired my show is that we're, we're now in a land of caricatures. It really is. You, you, you have some, some great, great people left over from the old age of the Hawaiian kingdom. You've got tutus and, and, and kapuna from, from every walk of life that fused into our kingdom. And, and you see it, you know, that in, in different colors and different origins everywhere. And that you recognize that last piece of old Hawaii as you return. But then you also see this new generation of people who think they're afforded, you know, because it's, it's just another star on the flag to them, you know? It just says, oh, we colonized it, it's ours. I can live in my American dream here. And it's like, we were trying to live the Hawaiian dream long before you arrived. And, you know, sometimes, you know, your dream is someone else's nightmare. 
Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for that laugh. That I, I it's it's a laugh. It's, you know, it's one of those things where you gotta laugh so you know cry. Um, because like we laugh about this, but it's it's I mean, it is serious to us. Like these are it's generational, you know, trauma, gener like it's oh man, especially, you know, oh, being on the continent. But you know, um, I'm glad you mentioned like about people who come aina and like what does that even mean um what does it mean we like, don't what know what it means mean anymore, anymore right like yeah. um kelly you know from your perspective like what what does kama mean because i don't want to give like let's let's everybody give it your definition of like what it meant to you when you were in hawaii that's a great question because it to me it feels like it's it's changed over time you know like growing up that meant the folks that were born and raised there, you know, whether you were an immigrant that got to be, mm -hmm. you know, families, plantations, like that's everybody who ended up there, that's Kama'aina. But now it's you, I see it used as a, almost like a, um, like a catchphrase or like a, mm -hmm. you know, like there, it's a, everybody can be Kama'aina and it's like, well, not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's what I've noticed over the years, the change. How about you, Brad? How, how have you seen the Kamaina term used? Um, my, uh, one of the initial reasons why I first moved here outside of just trying to get outside of New York was I met a really incredible woman and um, we started dating and she was she was a third generation Japanese who was born and bred here. And she, I heard her using that, um, that phrase quite a bit. And I asked what it meant. And she was just like, well, you know, if you go to like a restaurant or something that's local, that's here, you know, some will offer you a comma Ina rate simply because you're part of the community. And in order for a lot of these places to sort of like stay in business, the prices have to be at such a rate in which they can afford to pay these damn taxes that you guys were just talking about. So it becomes necessary to be able to discern, okay, who lives here? Okay, Kavika, you live here. I know you. Okay, your family, all this. Okay, he needs to pay this. But so-and-so, like the Griswolds, who, like, come here from, like, you know, Kansas City, who are smoking cigars on the beach and, you know, trying to ride the turtles and stuff like that over at the park. I mean, you know, we you need to be paying more because you don't really need to be here. You know, you're taking advantage of something. And, yeah, so uh, uh, from from what I've heard from those of my friends that have lived here, yeah, it's, it's completely um, been homogenized uh to coin a phrase from kavika for sure and um yeah these these tourists they've got to be watched and i think you know one of the things that i feel so blessed to be a part of with Monkumoku is that we're using humor to address that there's a way in which you can talk about very serious things but you can make it humorous so that it makes a point and it stays with people and that's really, I think, really what we want to do with the show is we want to show real people who are not living this hype sort of like glamorized, you know, um, stereotype that's been created by the mainland about what Hawaii means. Come here, get a tan, stay in the resort. Don't talk to any of the, you know, the, the people who are local. 
they will serve you your drinks, you know. This is going to take you all the way out of that. It's going to put you in touch with some real people. You you said it yourself, uh, Kathy Collins, who says radio prostitute. We have absolutely, and Kavika will tell you this, you don't need me on this show to tell you this. We have some of the best undiscovered talent on Maui, and that's what you're going to get. And we're pulling no punches. Uh, be ready to laugh. Be ready to cry. We're bringing it. <laughs> oh my god i i can i hope one day i can meet this auntie who's in this in this show because oh i could just tell she's on character just from the, the trailer that like i've seen i'm like oh that's the kind of auntie like i feel like i'm at home like you know you gotta have the the, the comedian in your family for make everybody laugh like <laughs> oh man but yeah kama aina is um you know, like as a person who's lived away and now comes back, I have an issue with this word now because especially now that a lot of the mom and pop businesses have had to sell, right, for varying reasons, you now have a lot of transplants, like we talked about, running these businesses. And I go in there and I'm like, I want come out in a discount. And they're like, I need to see your ID. Right, right here. This is my ID. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't have a Hawaii ID. I cannot show you I'm Kama'aina in that way, right? Like, so it's changed, right? So now it's like, okay, so what is Hawaiian? And how, you know, like, how does, what what are we um, incentivizing now? You know, like, it's, it's just become an incentive and not so much like what the term really means, which someone who is familiar and ma'a to the area and to the land and who understands the people, who understands the community, you know, like that is the Hawaiian definition of the word, right? Um, but like many other things, it's been um, colonized, I guess. Um, so yeah, I feel like that's such a, such a, at least for me, I always want to, you know, small kind titter comes out, you know, when they, when they question whether or not I'm kind of come on. I'm like, barah. Let them out, sister. I'm like, my family came from here, you know, I go back generations. Who is your, like, what is your kumu? What is your foundation? You know, like, don't get me started around here. <laughs> Gotta take your genealogy chart for getting ice cream discount now. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> 99 generations, he said enough. Gosh. <laughs> All I wanted was one Pokeball from Food Land and you wouldn't give it to me. <laughs> yeah, you want Pokeball, the real one. Not the salad. <laughs> Take your Godzuki beans and your Airbnbs and get out. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. I love that we can just have this humor. It's it's so important for our people, I think. Um but yeah, okay. So let's let's we I think we're coming to the end of the panel. This hour went by so quickly. Um let's kind of try to end on a positive note. Um, you know, for us who have had to move away and come back and you know, in every permutation of this, what are some of the benefits of living outside of Hawaii? Like how do you one of the books I'm reading is also called like using turning your adversity into an edge. So like, what is the benefits of living outside of Hawaii and how, how um, have you found it beneficial to like bridge the two worlds and like create new possibilities for your next generation? Uh, we'll go to Kelly. 
Yes, this is a great uh, question because, um, and a conversation. Uh, I think I, one of the benefits of moving away has been to do that deep internal reflection about your culture, about your identity, about your roots. I think when you're living home at home for so long, everything becomes um, just uh, motion, right? You're just kind of going through the motions and you're not thinking about your role, your responsibilities. You're just kind of moving along with life, everything that's going on. and. Being away from home has given me the opportunity to do a lot of deep reflection, have deep conversations with um, my peers, with other Kanaka Maoli's I've met here on the continent, uh, with with other uh, people of color, you know, about identity and culture and, and, and how to stay grounded without being on the land that you're from. Uh, and those are conversations I wouldn't have ever had if I didn't move away. And some of them have been the richest conversations I've had with with connecting with people, and so I'm I'm very grateful for that. There's a lot of a lot of hards about living away, but that's one thing I am very appreciative of is that I have this lens and this deeper appreciation that I don't think I would have had if I stayed home living in mom and dad's house because <laughs> that's all I could afford. <laughs> but yes, yeah, that, I would say that would be it. Wonderful. Uh, Kavika? Uh, you know, I, I have to say the, the greatest edge that the mainland gave me was, you know, my grandfather pointed it out very early on, you know, is that there is a wealth of knowledge that the continent can give if you listen correctly. And um, he was very much uh, a man who went around unlocking people's potential. And I was glad he took the time to unlock mine. And, um, you know, I, I relate in the sense of it's, it's, it's just like the story of Prometheus. You're bringing back fire, you know. So when you move back home, think about what you can bring that is useful. You know, you don't have to bring colonization with you. That doesn't have to be the export gift from the mainland with you. You, you don't have to let it gentrify you or change you. You can take their, their tools and their utilities and you can turn them into your own. You know, just because someone makes... <clears throat> you know, uh, a weapon for colonialism doesn't mean it's still a weapon. Knowledge isn't always a weapon. You know, it's 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 just as much hope and change as it can be a, a, a tool of colonization. So to me, you know, the biggest thing that I that I take that I bring back from the continent is 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 knowledge, you know, and, and pointing out you know, where it's missing out here and trying to provide it. That's why my my, my new role beyond the, the television show, I've, I've recently just become um, special programs manager of Akaku uh, Community Media, which is the um, public access station of Maui County for all three islands. And is actually one of the largest public access stations in uh, um, America. And, you know, and the thing that I've noticed that, that we're missing so much out here because we don't, we, we never made it necessary you know we're, we're in a land of of it's you know it you, you should be folding towels and flipping hamburgers and these kids aren't told that they could be leaders in an office or or television professionals or that they, they, they can't they can't be anything more than some snorkel tour whale watching guide for you know you know ten dollars a day but you know for me recognizing that i i was given a gift by my kapuna to turn into a bigger gift for all of 
the cakey behind me, you know, and we use that knowledge to set a path behind us so they don't have to work harder to get through the weeds. I love that, Kavika. I'm, I'm feeling those vibes right now, too. Uh, Brad, how about you? Yeah, uh, I'm going to I'm going to just echo uh, what 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 Kavika just said. I mean, um, you know, we're, we're we're friends for a lot of uh, great reasons. Um, if you really want an entertaining show, have us both do dueling Jimmy Stewart's. Um, <laughs> you you will not be able to contain yourself. Uh, yeah, we, we might have to see a doctor's note. We go off. We and we just realized that like three, four days ago. You could do that. So but. One of the things, my, my father being a football player, one of the things he taught me really, really young that I'm so grateful for, he goes, Brad, football is a great game because it teaches you how to function within the community of a team. But he's just like, always remember, you don't have to wear a number to be part of a team. And what he meant by that when he told me was, you know, you're going to meet a lot of people who are outside like your realm of understanding, be inquisitive, ask questions. You're going to become friends with them, but then keep them in your head because you're going to meet somebody down the line. It's going to be like, Oh man, you know, it's really nice to meet you. We're looking for so-and-so and so, and we're looking for this kind of person. Hey, you know what? I just met that guy two days ago. Let me put you in contact with him. And another thing, um, I, I got to go back to sort of this, this show. There's a, there's a guy that I'm aware of, a kid who I met when he was like a sophomore, maybe like a freshman in high school. And I was working on this project with uh, Relativity Studios, and it was a filmmaking sort of like workshop that they were going to do like every year. And I got hired just to shoot all the behind the scenes stuff and just sort of watch them just so they could use that for the buildup and the promotion of it. There was this local kid who literally, I mean, he was, he looked like he was like seven years old. His name is Austin. He is our DP of this show that we're putting out, which is going to blow everybody's socks off. And I, you could just watch him work and you could just tell he was a prodigy. He knew exactly what he was shooting. He knew how he wanted to do it. And then when you saw what he put on screen, it just blew your mind away. And I just went up to him at the end of everything. I was like, listen, you don't know who I am. I know this sounds weird. Give me your information. I'm just getting sort of like started sort of in all this, but somewhere down the line, I'm going to give you a call because you need to be doing this. Long story short, we, we did sort of like all these little things. He and I did like a very short documentary, um, three-minute project, like on this international scale. And we didn't think we had like a snowball's chance and you know what to win. And we won. Now, come to what, uh, the beginning of, of, of last year, in January, he's the director of photography. And I, I got to tell you, I had to leave set like three times because I was sobbing just to see him in his element doing what he was born to do. That's one of the things that I learned that I've always kept with me no matter where, I, where, where I've gone. And um, we're just so proud of him. We're really so proud of him. I still can't, I still can't pronounce his last name. I just call him Austin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he knows what we're talking about. But yeah, so, so, so that's, what, uh, that's what I've taken with me. Thank you. This is a great program. And um, you know what? I champion you too. These books that you've put out, honey, 
I can't stop talking about you. I can't stop talking about it. They, they want to build a wing uh, in your honor, Moana, over at the Westin, over on the West End, uh, on the Stop West Side. During, during um, Reading Across America that we were lucky enough to be involved in, you were the hit. You were the big hit. So thank you. Oh, I love it. No, it's my, it's my Kuliana. I really, I do feel like it is my Kuliana. So, um, you know, I just kind of want to go back to what Kelly said in terms of like, um, reflection and gratitude and like, because for me, I had very much the similar thing, right? Like moving away, it's like, oh man, like what is the things that make my home special? Like a lot of it is intangible, you know, but you know, it, it goes back to the people, right? And like um, just all of the wonderful things that we get to experience. And so now one, how do we stay connected? And two, like, what is my Kuliana? Can I still, you know, can I still influence and impact positively away from home, right? So maybe we'll close on that question. Um, you know, how do, how do you guys think we could better connect um, our island, like Native Hawaiian local communities, Kama'ainas, like inside and outside of Hawaii? How can we better connect? Where can we better support each other? What are your, you all's thoughts on that? Uh, we'll go with first. Well, you know, me personally, I think I think the media is a great avenue now. You know, uh, the the other great na Native Indigenous nations have proved it. You know, things things like you know um, reservation dogs has proved that you mm -hmm. can create a unifying message through art that makes people laugh, makes people cry, makes people change their minds. Uh, that's why personally, I've taken the mantle of, of of using television to change thought. I think a lot of people can use that. I think radio is really important still, and podcasting is important. You know, uh, a lot of us don't realize how unattended public access is now, and it, most of it's free to use. You know, mm -hmm. so like if you're out there and you're thinking like, oh, I, I can't afford a podcast, or or I've always wanted to be on the radio, or I should be telling my story somewhere. It's like go to your public access station. Like, who cares if Netflix doesn't want you? Like, your community wants you. You know, right. you should be speaking up. You know, I, I think that that social media is a great avenue, but sometimes we get lost inside of the commercialism of it. Mm -hmm. And so to that, I also say that we need to make effort to to now that the pandemic is over. Now's the time to go back, you know, to, to the classic and analog ways. You know, we lost a lot of human social interaction over that short time. And it's obviously you know, stunted us as, as a people worldwide, you know, not just as, as, as Kanaka or, or people of the islands, mm -hmm. you know? So I, I think now's the time to really like go out, go to your Pacific Islander festival, go, go find your local Ho'olalea, show up at your Hui Hawaii, you know, go to your, your council for native Hawaiian advancement meetings, like be there because your Kapuna are still there. Mm -hmm. You know, I see them all the time. They're, they're, they're gearing up in Henderson to bring back their Ho'olalea. Yeah. Orange County just had theirs and their Heritage of Aloha Festival, you know, and then end of this year is, is the big Kapuna meeting up in, you know, Seattle, Tacoma. So like making that time now that we're free to travel the world again, we need to connect each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was one thing when we all had these islands to be able to be right next door to each other and, and be able to touch and feel each other. But now that we're separated, I mean, nine out of 10 Hawaiians live everywhere, but Hawaii, you know, but we're lucky to know that we live in small communities that have <clears throat> 
adapted to that nomadic lifestyle that we have to have that refugee lifestyle that we've been that's been imposed upon us you know because at the end of the day we really are refugees we are people outside of our homeland who cannot afford it or be a part of it because of either war economy embargo trade etc so you know the the best way to adapt is to come together you know that's what we have left is our connection you know the only way our 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 mo'olelo and mana'o can spread is if we stick together. Ew. Uh, Kelly? I don't know if there's anything I can add to that because that's everything. I mean, that is everything, Vika. Um, I think the only thing I would say is to continuously show up in that identity of being Native Hawaiian and saying who you are, where you're from, who's your family. Because I'm also noticing that when we do that, when we show up in spaces, somebody always knows somebody. Somebody knows some kind of kanaka that's hanging out there, that's waiting for community. And that's the thing I really appreciate about um, being in the area that we're in. You know, we're, we're a little bit outside of Portland and there's so much for us to get connected with, which we really appreciate. But um, being able to say who we are as you know, we're meeting other people, um, it's been nice to see the connections we've made because of that. So, yeah, only little thing to add. <laughs> That's beautiful. <clears throat> and then Brad, bring us home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, um, Kavika, like I say, just like Kelly said, I mean, he really summarized it. I mean, the power of this little thing, you can do so much with it. And mm -hmm. it's, it's a tool to be used. But um, the older ways, I think, um, are, are kind of forgotten. And there's a genuineness to that. I was telling Kavika the other day that um, there's someone who works for a very important uh, city council member. And we were having a real challenge sort of like trying to get in contact with them. And she made it happen. We went in and sort of, you know, had like what we thought was going to be a 25 minute conversation. It was like an hour and a half. And it was just a great meeting and a, a brand new, important relationship that we were able to, to forge. And I sent her a text. But then, you know, I was just like, I'm going to go out. I'm going to go buy a card. I'm going to write and I'm going to send it to her. And she was just like, oh, my God. She was <laughs> like, thank you so much. And, you know, that's what I used to do. Back when I was like in college and I would go in and show my portfolio and, you know, people forget about this. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's convenient to send an email. And I mean, you know, not a lot of people remember how to say mahalo. Mm -hmm. Say that. Say that and do that and be genuine in that. And if you're going to go and ask someone about their culture or their background or what it is they do, be genuinely curious about that you know, and just be genuine about it and, and, and share aloha. That's what I would say. I love that. That old school way is yes, absolutely undervalued. Um, you know, when I sent out my books for the Kickstarters, you know, I put handwritten notes and people are like, Oh my gosh, you wrote like a note. I'm like, yes, it is. Yes. Like you guys, I helped me fund this thing, right? Like this book doesn't exist without you guys. So like the least I can do is write you a note, you know? So, that's wonderful advice. Um, and, you know, if for people who are watching this, who like, you know, maybe are younger and I don't know, do you guys know what pens are? Um, <laughs> 
or notepads, you know, like, yeah, these are these are these things that us, you know, of the uh, middle generation, I would say, um, that we still remember and we still use. But um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful advice. I am so um, grateful, proud um, to have you all um, as wonderful, you know, um, elements, uh, critical elements of our community, whether you're, you know, living on the continent or still at home fighting the good fight and really trying to lay the groundwork for other people to, you know, find their way back. Um, I think everybody is doing such wonderful work. Um, and I want to thank you guys for now being a part of the Moana Nui podcast community. And hopefully we can continue to, you know, like work together, find connections. Um, as always, I mean, Kavika and Brad already know, like any projects you guys are doing, feel free. Kelly, I learned a whole bunch about you, you know, like leading up to this interview. So if there's anything that I can help with your community as well, please let me know. Um, and for our viewers who are watching this, um, can you let them know where they can connect with you online? Obviously, because, you know, we cannot like give out your home address because we don't, you know, privacy. But um, <laughs> where can they connect with you online um, and learn more about the projects that you guys are doing? Kavika. Uh, well, uh, just about anywhere on the Internet, you can find me as at Kavika Hoke, KavikaHoke.com. Uh, the show Moku Moku is available everywhere you find it at 808 Moku Moku on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or 808mokumoku.com. Or you can catch me like Sasquatch walking through the aisles of Pukulani Super Red on any given day in Pukulani. And uh, uh, it's not that hard to find my house because uh, everybody knows where I stay. So uh, if you ask around, use that coconut wireless. It's right. <laughs> Just come on by. I give you one job. <laughs> Love it, <laughs> Brad. Uh, let's see. Outside of probably being only one of the black brothers out here, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you right now if anybody screams out, Hey, chocolate George Clooney, I'm buying you a beer. Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> we weren't gonna let that out of the bag until I got t shirts made, but that's coming, it's in the works. I love it. But you, but you can find me on Instagram uh, at Brad Starks 001. And then uh, Facebook, if if you run uh, a search for me there, uh, I'm I'm usually there. And yeah, I mean, pretty much for maybe like about like the next sort of like three months, we're gonna be shooting Moku Moku. So um, I'll be shooting a lot of behind the scenes video. Hopefully, you know, fashioning that together into some kind of a documentary that we can you know that we can put out there. But uh, yeah, just really excited, really excited. Awesome. Alrighty, and Kelly. Yes, I, I'm mostly on Instagram. So you can find my Instagram handle. It's at Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, my maiden name, U-N-T-E-N, -E and then my married name, Makura. So it's at Kelly Unten Makura. That's my Instagram handle. Awesome. And of course, you can find us on the Moana Nui podcast every Thursday evening at 7 and 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Dana and I are always up out here trying to help to amplify the voices of our communities, whether it be the Native Hawaiian community, the African American American community, so many communities. We're just out here to, you know, help spread the message, be our own, I don't know, coconut, poo, conch shell, wireless, like all kind, whatever, you know, like we're just out here spreading our aloha 
in all the ways that <laughs> that we do. Um, but we definitely want to thank everybody for tuning in. We want to th once again thank our panel guests for being with us. Um, and also, I will say, like, while I was at home in Hawaii, I want to thank the Children's Book International for the, the latest award that they gave for our children's book series. We're super excited, um, you know, to bring Olelo Hawaii, which is our Hawaiian native Hawaiian language, to the world. Um, our story is in both English and Hawaiian. And while we do not expect you to master our language, uh, we do want to expose you to it. Um, and if you have not heard of it yet, you can check us out at www.moanamcadams.com. We're going to have a Kickstarter running later this year where we also have like audio content and, you know, like a lot of different things to help folks learn more about our language and our culture. So, um, thank you to all of our community who helps us to continue this work, um, and we have so much excitement. Like I can't, there's some things that like I'm really excited to announce, but I cannot yet. I kind of probably can't tell you guys for some months, but it's going to be good. Uh, <laughs> um, and then obviously I want to thank Dana uh, for working behind the scenes. She is always keeping me on my toes, keeping me straight um, and helping to organize because running a podcast guys, you know, like it's, it's a whole lot of work, but we love it. It's our passion and our purpose. Um, so we hope you guys enjoy and appreciate the wonderful content that we put together for all of you. So with that said, um, mahalo, malama pono, and ahui ho. Take care, everybody. Aloha. And So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will If this the land of the free, it was a freedom then When they annexed Hawaii and called it see the lands Without any type of payment and no signing off Called themselves the Republic in 1894 1.2 million acres overtaken from the native Hawaiians When they resisted, the West retaliated in violence and erasure The Hawaiian language is banned As part of colonialism's plan to expand, yeah Stuck between a rock and a hard place Multiple bombings of Koholave As a part of their ongoing war with Asia Used it as a place for target practice No consent or compensation Colonizers call for annexation No work out for all the locals School will never let you know So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will Stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If they won't tell it, we will We will So if we put Hawaii in a perspective Well, black and Asian history is interconnected Considering the fight with the Pacific Then of course, versus Asia They was treated as a middleman for war But didn't let the Western colorism run its course Cause dark skin was a sign of dignity to core The land was taken in the name of capitalism When prior to it was an actual kingdom Clap back at the system Stuck with between a rock and a hard place Multiple bombings of Koholave As a part of their ongoing war with Asia Used it as a place for target practice No consent or compensation Colonizers call for annexation 
Network out for all the locals School will never let you know So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will Too many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will So many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will Too many stories left to tell Even if we have to ourselves Can't keep history on the shelf If we won't tell it, we will We will